Hey, whether you enjoy listening to Breaking Down Collapse or Building Up Resilience, I think you'll also really enjoy our bonus content on Patreon. Yeah, Kellen and I take 20 minutes each week to talk about the news that's happening all around us and Collapse as it plays out. We like to have a little fun with it, but also make sure that you're aware of what's going on in the world of Collapse. We look forward to having you join us there. The link to join us on Patreon is in the episode description. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. So I doubt anyone out there cares, but me and Kellen have to read these off every once in a while because it does boost our self-esteem quite a bit. We got another review on the podcast, this one from Antoinette27, who says, These guys are amazing. They're very knowledgeable and lay everything out in a way that is easy to understand. I'm hooked and have been listening until the wee hours of the morning and any chance I have during the day. Into the wee hours. That's right, and we record into the wee hours, it seems, and edit into the wee hours, and research into the wee hours, so we're right there with you, Antoinette27. So the topic of today's episode is the upside of collapse, and I do want to start right off the bat by giving a little bit of a disclaimer that the purpose of this episode is not to convince anyone that collapse is good, or that it will be fun, or that it's something to look forward to. Collapse is going to be miserable. Obviously, the conditions are going to be terrible. Many people will die. It's not something to envy. But in a past episode, in our episode on coping, we talked about the Stockdale Paradox, which, as a reminder, was the Vietnam prisoner of war who was asked why he made it out when so many other prisoners died of despair. And he said, You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they may be. So basically it's saying it's the idea of hoping for the best, but acknowledging and preparing for the worst. So we're not providing hopium in that we're saying there's a way out of this or that it's going to be this amazing thing. Rather, it's how can we go into it with an attitude of finding the best in a bad situation? Kind of that attitude of like, oh crap, my house just burned down, but at least I don't have to mow the lawn anymore, right? Which is stupid, but... 
for mental health purposes, and I know in, in my personal case, I handle these things best when I can look for the upside in anything. To me, I kind of feel like, what's the point in even having these conversations if the intention isn't to do something with it? A lot of what we talk about is depressing, but it's nice to acknowledge that it's not 100% doom and gloom, right? That there are always two sides to the coin. And I know as we've talked about it, Corey, we've discussed how there are some good things, some level of upside to knowing about collapse before it ever happens. There's some good things that will come out of collapse even while it's happening and also benefits that are a result of collapse that we see after collapse has taken place. And by the way, when I say pre-collapse or benefits of knowing about collapse before it happens, we've discussed that we're already on the path. That collapse is, to some degree, currently taking place. But we know that the worst is yet to come. So let's start there with the good things that we can take from it now this early on. And the first is that sometimes knowing that a good situation is fleeting or that things are going to get worse helps you to appreciate more what you have now. You think of you know, somebody who's diagnosed with a terminal illness. Let's say you find out you've got six months left to live. Although there is grief and despair and suffering in those situations, oftentimes people find ways to make those last six months of their lives the most meaningful. You know, maybe you go skydiving or Rocky Mountain climbing. Just kidding. But the, the point is, sometimes people say that ignorance is bliss. And to some degree that may be true, but usually if you are living in ignorance of something negative that's coming down the road, you don't have a whole lot of gratitude. You take for granted what you have now. Yeah, I feel like I see this debate a lot about, you know, what's the point of talking about this? What's the point of learning about it? What's the point of telling a friend or family member about it when all you're doing is just kind of condemning them to something that they can't change or fix? And I think that this is one big part of it. You know, going back to your example of like being diagnosed with cancer, if I went to the doctor because I was having a pain and the doctor found out that I had cancer and didn't tell me because he didn't want me to suffer. And then in my most advanced stages, when I have days left to live, he finally tells me or I find out on my own. And I just realized that I've wasted those last six months doing nothing. I didn't realize that I had so little time left. And so I didn't take advantage of it. Knowing about collapse, I feel like, does allow us to take the opportunity to appreciate everything that we do have. It's easy to get caught up in how much modern life kind of sucks in a lot of ways, and it does, but there are so many good parts about modern life. There's so many conveniences. There's so much comfort. There's so much in technological advancement that we get to do and see and experience that people in the past never got to and that people in the future won't get to either. Take advantage of those things. Be grateful for them. Live now and learn to appreciate what we have before it is gone. I don't want to look back in 20 or 30 years when a lot of the things that we have now are no longer available and say, I just wasted it. Like, I never appreciated it, even knowing that this was going to happen. Why didn't I do something to take advantage while I still had the time to? Right, because we've discussed how we don't know exactly how long this process will take whether it's a matter of decades, some believe it's centuries, but let's say collapse takes place rapidly. I think within a decade or two or three or however long, we would be looking at today and we'd be calling it the good old days. Like it was so wonderful when we had XYZ. So one of the benefits to collapse, at least being aware of collapse, is that you can live in the present and you can enjoy the present more. One of the other benefits, and this is kind of intuitive, is that not only can you live in the present, but you can prepare better for the future. I mean, imagine a newspaper from the future 
ended up in your hands, which for some reason I'm picturing a physical newspaper, but that probably wouldn't be the case. But let's say five years from now, where you live is going to get hit with an extremely intense natural disaster. Wouldn't you be so glad that you were made aware of that in advance? Like I'm sure you would spend a significant amount of time preparing, making sure that you and your family, your friends are safe and taken care of, that you've got the provisions and supplies that you need. And I feel like it's the same situation here. You know, Corey, I'm really grateful that you, as my friend, have told me about all this and have helped me see that there will be challenging times ahead. And we don't know exactly how soon or how severe in our lifetimes. But you pointing out to me, hey, the road that we're on, it's not sustainable, is a little bit like me receiving that newspaper from the future. So I feel like it's a huge benefit. You know, in my personal situation, I've done a little bit to get some water, some food in place, which won't help necessarily through a long drawn out collapse, but it's definitely not going to hurt. And I experience a lot of peace of mind knowing that if I have to go through what Texas went through recently, where everything froze and there was a lack of water and electricity, you know, I sleep better at night knowing that I'm that much more prepared for what's to come. Yeah. You know, like John Michael Greer says, collapse now and avoid the rush. Like when everybody is collapsing, when everything around us is falling apart, it will have benefited us greatly if we'd kind of already just taken that upon ourselves. And it's interesting because a few minutes ago we were talking about how great things are now. At the same time, and we'll talk more about this later, there are also reasons to want to get away from a lot of the things that we are experiencing right now, right? Working a nine-to-five, the political turmoil and conflicts, and all the things that we're experiencing now about modern life, the destruction of the ecosystem and witnessing that firsthand, climate change, like all these things that we're living right now are tough. But if we can personally collapse now and avoid the rush, we almost get to pick and choose a little bit of the things that we get rid of from our current society and the things that we want to take with us into collapse. You know, Kellen, you talk about if you had that word from the future about what was coming, you would surely take steps to protect yourself, to protect your family, your friends, and your community. I read a book recently called Tribe by Sebastian Younger. And in the book, he basically makes the case for why we are so miserable in modern day societies And why, for example, Native American tribes, when discovered by Europeans in the 1700s, why they were so happy. And why many Europeans actually left the early settlements to go live with Native Americans, and the opposite never happened. And basically his argument is that being in small, supportive communities like tribes allowed people to have a true sense of purpose and happiness. He talks about the importance of a small community being able to support each other, lift each other up, basically have no inequality, you know, that sort of thing. And that when that is achieved, the level of happiness and fulfillment increases. And as we collapse, we've talked about in the past how I think the people that are going to make it through are going to be the ones who can figure out how to create resilient communities. Living on your own in a bunker, or if you're a bajillionaire living in a mansion with a guarded garden, like those things are not going to be what gets you through. What gets you through is building a community of people who are resilient, who work together, who love each other, who protect each other. And those are the ones that are going to come out on the other side. One quote from that book that I really liked, and it's in regards to coming together as communities when serious trials are happening. And the quote is from a survivor of an earthquake which killed 30,000 people in the 1920s in Italy. He says, An earthquake achieves what the law promises but does not in practice maintain, the equality of all men. 
And some studies that were done found that during that earthquake, people just all came together. They did whatever they had to to survive. They worked together. They, they didn't fight. They didn't bicker. They weren't stealing from each other. And a lot of studies have been done that actually find that that is the case. In most instances, when there's a natural disaster, people come together as a community to get through it. You know, even in times of war, studies found that in World War II, for example, the overall mental health of Londoners actually improved while they were being bombed for two months straight by the Germans. The difficulty of that situation brought people together. They worked together in a united cause, even though it was this terrible thing with people dying left and right and living in bunkers. And they were saying that they were living in puddles of urine in these shelters, things like that. But that basically without hierarchies or commands or laws, besides the natural ones that people came up together and agreed on, they were able to get a tremendous amount of work done. And people stated that everybody, for the most part, worked hard to accomplish what they needed to. And obviously collapse is different than natural disasters and wars in that with those you can usually see a light at the end of the tunnel and there's obviously an argument that if there was famine for a long enough time and everybody ran out of food that for survival maybe people would turn against each other, right? Especially in a larger community that starts to be the case. But if you can find a small enough community of people that you trust, your chances of not only survival but of being able to find fulfillment in the process increases. It's fascinating to hear you say that because, you know, Corey, you and I each kind of did our research on this topic independently. And one of the things that I found is that in the 1980s, there were a couple of psychologists by the names of Richard Tedeschi and Lawrence Calhoun that discovered some really interesting things about trauma. They contacted more than 600 people who had gone through severe trauma. And although there were cases of PTSD Right? There were some definitely negative consequences from the trauma. The majority of trauma survivors reported that their lives had actually changed for the better. And I think that gets overlooked a lot. So they published the paper in 1996 and they coined this term. You know, we hear about post-traumatic stress, but they called it post-traumatic growth. And it was pretty groundbreaking. A lot of other researchers jumped on board and started researching that same topic. And it's been validated over and over and over again in the research. You know, and, and this relates to people who have gone through war and natural disasters and health challenges and even sexual assault victims, accidents, bereavement, you know, even mass shootings. All these awful things. And, and by the way, none of this is meant to minimize how tragic and how deep the suffering is in those cases. But more than half of all of those trauma survivors report positive change. And, and you might think like, well, gosh, what could possibly be positive at the end of a traumatic event like that? But some of the things that they found, you know, people talked about feeling greater inner strength. They were more competent. They were closer to friends and family members. A big one was, you know, them saying that they felt like life had more meaning or that they had started reorienting their lives toward more fulfilling purposes, right? Goals that better aligned with what they felt like was fulfilling. They felt more mature, more independent, better able to face other crises. A lot of them expressed, you know, really positive experiences they'd had with their social support systems. And it's just really interesting that we look at anything painful and we automatically label it as all bad. And yet to think you can experience some real growth and real purpose in trauma and after trauma. But one of the things that came out of the research is that in order to have these positive results from trauma, a person has to have what they call cognitive flexibility. 
which is defined in a lot of different ways. I think a lot of it just has to do with open-mindedness, right? You have to be able to balance seeing two different perspectives at the same time or thinking about multiple concepts simultaneously. Like you have to be able to see all the gray in between the black and white. And people who have that can come out of trauma and even during trauma experience some really positive, fulfilling things. Yeah, that's really interesting. And like you said, that's not the case for everybody. And there's a lot of suffering that we see today that comes from PTSD. And as a matter of fact, this book that I mentioned, Tribe, one of the main purposes of writing the book was about PTSD and how people overcome it. Sebastian Younger was a war journalist and experienced PTSD himself from some of the things he went through. And he talked about the importance, again, of community and helping him come out of that and how people who aren't surrounded by a community who can help them won't. Along the lines of what you just mentioned, Emil Durkheim documented basically the same phenomenon of suicide rates dropping during European wars. Psychiatrists and doctors saw a severe decrease in number of cases, people coming in, and even saw previously mentally ill people do better during wartime. People who had a psychosis before were now the ambulance drivers volunteering to help get people from A to B and feeling fulfillment from doing it. You know, we long for a purpose. We long for a community with which to fulfill that purpose. One interesting note is that the same studies also found that suicide rates increased in the peaceful areas during war because people felt like they were witnessing something happening, but they couldn't be part of a community that was helping to fix it. And so that's one thing to know as we kind of watch the world start to crumble around us. It can be overwhelming to feel like we're helpless to it. But again, that comes back to finding a purpose to anchor yourself to, whether that's protecting yourself, protecting your family, going out of your way to do something to protect your community. Those who do that will find themselves in a much higher likelihood of being able to get through it and in a better state of mental health. Yeah, it seems really counterintuitive to think that in times of war, suicide rates might drop and that, like you said, they might increase during a war in the areas where they're experiencing peace. But one thing that comes to mind as you mentioned that is what we've talked about in the past, which is, you know, that we could point to 10,000 examples of people who have become wealthy and have become miserable, right? They have all the conveniences. They have everything that most everybody longs for. And yet they don't feel fulfilled. They don't feel purpose. And, you know, it's not just any branch of theology. It's actually a research driven fact that as people dedicate themselves to helping others, that's where they start to feel fulfillment. And in our current situation right now, there's always plenty of ways that you can help others. But most people kind of keep to themselves, like, hey, I'm going to do my thing, you do yours, stay in your lane, stay out of my life, get lost, right? But we saw, like with the pandemic, that when things really started getting crazy, there were a lot of really cool things happening where people were helping each other People were willing and open to receiving help from others. And so there are opportunities for living a life that's more fulfilling when you and the people around you aren't in as comfortable of a situation. And that actually leads right into the next point, which is that we can take advantage of this situation in a lot of ways. Again, going back to the idea of if you had a newspaper of the future, there are some ways that you can leverage that. And some of what I'm going to say here might be kind of controversial, but you can see it in two different ways. Either you can think, hey, I know there's going to be a lot of difficult things coming. I'm going to provide something that meets the needs of people that will be suffering in the future. Or if you don't really care so much about that, maybe you just say, hey, how can I make some money out of this? But the point is that we know the road that we're on. We can anticipate what's coming. And you've heard all the time, right, that at least in the U.S. when there was the gold rush, it's not really the people that went looking for gold that made the most wealth. It was the people selling the shovels. 
So this was kind of fun for me to dive into coming from a business background. But I just thought if I wanted to make a lot of money based on what I anticipate is coming in the future, you know, what are some things that I could do? So if anybody out there listening to this podcast has the time or the resources or is feeling really entrepreneurial, here's some ideas. Which, by the way, this is nothing new. There's basically a whole industry built around people who, you know, when they see a hurricane heading toward Florida, they make destruction-based bets on the market of frozen orange juice futures. Right? So, so people know when bad things are coming, there's going to be economic opportunity in that. Imagine if you knew before the pandemic ever hit that it was going to happen and you decided to produce a ton of masks. So here's some ideas, and Corey, I'd love to hear your thoughts on which of these you think has the most promise or what might be the most appealing. But one example is heating and cooling. If you are in the air conditioner business, the future looks bright for you. (laughs) You know, I've seen some articles around the last couple of years in like Alaska. All the air conditioners are just out of stock. They can't even produce them fast enough because people are so desperate to buy them. They're experiencing levels of warmth that they haven't had to deal with in the past. You know, things like freeze dryers, generators. Right now, there's a lot of demand, and that's only going to keep picking up. Um, Agriculture and biotech, being able to make crops more resilient to heat or to drought. Sunscreen and sunglasses and clothing that's more weather resistant. You know, there's construction. There's certain companies coming up with new solutions to help areas that are experiencing more and more flooding. They're producing these flood wall systems, and they're making bank. Or even just new construction right? As people are having to move away from coastal areas. And a lot of that that I mentioned has to do with the eminent climate change. But there's also things like if you can produce resources for mental health, right? Therapists are going to be in high demand. You know, I see everything that's happening in the market right now with cryptocurrency. I think as people are losing faith in kind of the economic establishment and the stock market and fiat currency, they're turning to these other types of currency that are decentralized. And even if you're not looking to start a business, this is fascinating. The Bureau of Labor Statistics, if you go to bls.gov, you can look at what the fastest growing occupations are. And two of the top three, one of them is a wind turbine service technician, and the other is solar photovoltaic installers. So I'm not advocating for anyone to take advantage of people that are suffering, right? And depending on how you look at it, like we talked about, maybe you feel like you're just providing for the needs of people that will have certain needs in the future. But however you look at it, there is a lot of opportunity for those who are collapse aware. Yeah, you know, in a capitalist society, the market is dictated based on people's wants and needs. And in the future, when wants aren't really in the equation anymore, because people can't afford their wants... And it is about needs. And as those needs change and adapt quickly, there's going to be a lot of opportunity for people to help provide for the needs of other people. For myself, like I love to, to find a purpose, find my purpose in helping fulfill other people's needs. And I like to think that we'd be able to do that in a way that wouldn't be, like you said, we don't want to take advantage of people. It's not about going out and starting a business and you know charging top dollars so you can pull money away from people who are unfortunate. But if you can provide a living for yourself, you can get through collapse with what you need in order to get by and help other people to get the life-saving necessities for them to get by, then that can be something that's very fulfilling. 
you know, I think going into collapse, being someone who's chasing a lot of money is going to be unfulfilling because you're going to be watching the suffering of other people, knowing that you're taking advantage of them, even though, you know, you're sitting on a pile of wealth. But if you can provide something that helps people and know that you're also helping yourself appropriately, then I think that is something pretty cool to look forward to. Even if it's not starting a business, maybe it's just becoming, like you said, a solar panel installer. And we know eventually renewables and solar and all this expensive tech is not going to be something that makes it all the way through collapse, most likely, but it's likely going to last a lot longer than a lot of the other jobs. That's one that particularly interests me is learning about photovoltaics and as sort of a trade or a side trade, being able to install solar panels. Because yeah, the demand for that is going to... is is increasing now and is going to continue to increase into the future. So hopefully, with everything that we've said so far, there's not anybody out there who's looking forward to collapse. In case we haven't made it clear enough, it is going to be awful. But there is a fair share of positive that we can benefit from as we anticipate collapse and as we experience it. But what we haven't touched on yet is some of the good things post-collapse or that might come as a result of collapse. So Corey, what do you have on that? You know, I think the biggest and most obvious is one that we've talked about in the past in, in past episodes about giving the earth a break. You know, we are doing so much damage at such a rapid pace to the environment, to ecosystems, to biodiversity. And if our societies were able to experience collapse, if we had a reduction in consumption, a reduction in population, a reduction in the emission of, of greenhouse gases, all of those things would result in the earth being able to begin the long journey of recuperation. Some things would happen faster than others. You know, the repopulation of fish in the ocean and of certain wildlife populations, the rewilding of urban areas. Some things would take longer. You know, carbon dioxide stays in the atmosphere for many decades. So the earth is going to keep heating up. But that's normal. It goes through cycles. But the quicker we can put a stop on the damage that we're doing, the quicker the earth can get to going back to a state that's not only good for biodiversity, but is also good for humans. You know, I don't think that collapse results in extinction. There are some people that believe that, but that's not my own personal belief. I think our population is going to be reduced, but I think that for the people who do end up making it through, there is hope for a new opportunity to begin again. There is a YouTube video of a lecture that I highly recommend by a professor by the name of Sid Smith. It's called How to Enjoy the End of the World. And it was one of the first lectures that I watched on Collapse as I was starting to become familiar with the idea. And he basically talks about what we have talked about here in this episode. First, why Collapse is going to happen, but then the good that we can take from it. And here's a quote, something that he said in the, in the video that I really loved. He said, the goal here is not just to survive and make something out of the ruins, that would suck. Our aim is to look towards the human horizon with our shoulders squared, a glint in our eye, a smile on our lips, ready to build something better than we've left behind. This is not a fantasy. This is how the cycle works. And he talks in that lecture and shows some graphics about the cyclical nature of collapse and how we are at that point in the cycle where everything's about to spill over. We're about to go through the worst part of it all, but that inevitably on the other side, the cycle continues and we start again. Later, he says, on a personal level, this has profound implications. As prisoners of commercialized society, we have been robbed of agency in our own lives, trapped into indebting ourselves and then selling our labor on the buyer's terms to service the debt. We haven't built community, created or engaged in authentic culture, or felt the luxury of time and space for quiet discovery, for deep reflection, or for familiar communion with our human milieu. 
Shut out of genuine political participation, we've watched helplessly as our daily contribution of energy is sucked away to purposes we never endorsed. As the collapse unfolds, we can enjoy a new freedom to be resilient, to adapt, and to have agency to reorganize the elements of our world. We will have less, use less, watch less, travel less, but we will do more, say more, see more, give and receive more. This is when we begin to write and to inhabit a new story. Of course, others will finish it. That's the deal. And it's a fair deal. So he speaks kind of poetically there, but it kind of paints this picture of despite the awfulness of collapse, there are aspects to today's life that we will be much better off without. And we can view it as an opportunity for those who make it through. And like he said, it'll be others who finishes the story. It won't be us. It'll be our children or our grandchildren or our great-grandchildren or beyond. But eventually, those who do remain will be able to start again, and hopefully this time with a better system, with better organization, with less greed. Maybe it's hopium to believe that that will be the case, but at the very least, it's something that we can strive to work towards and can work to raise the next generations to strive for. You know, we've seen as newer generations come up, they've come up with more and more understanding of climate change. We've seen newer generations come up with more disdain for the current system. And if that continues, then it may very well be the case that future generations will see the error of our society and will have the strength and resolve to implement something better. I feel like everything you're saying in regards to a potentially positive outcome from what is honestly a negative situation provides a lot of hope. But I'm glad, you know, I don't feel like it's what some people call hopium because a lot of what we're saying here is in line with the Stockdale paradox that you mentioned previously. You know, we're not trying to deny that collapse is happening. We're not trying to deny that there will be immense suffering. But there's also, whether on a personal level or a societal level, you know, or even when you talk about the planet, in the end, there's hope that we will prevail. One thing that's been on my mind, you know, in the past, we've talked about mental health, my own experiences with mental health. It would be so tragic if anybody listening through this podcast felt hopelessness or despair and made negative choices as a result. But I think what we've talked about here today provides a lot of fuel for wanting to make the most of the situation while still recognizing that it's not an ideal situation to be in. Well said, Kellen. You know, I hope anyone listening to this who maybe beforehand was not collapse aware has been introduced to the podcast or just in general has recently become collapse aware. I I would hope that you would take this as an opportunity to more fully appreciate, be grateful for, and enjoy your life, what you do have, the people that you have, cherish them, find your purpose, and work towards making our society better when everything else is trying to do the opposite. And with that, a special thanks to everyone who supports us, whether that be through leaving reviews, through Patreon, following us on social media, reaching out with comments. We wouldn't be here if we didn't have people who were listening and supporting us along the way. So thank you so much, and uh, we'll see you next week. This quote comes from an earthquake survivor in Italy, which killed 30,000 people in the early 1900s. The earthquake survivor killed 30,000. <laughs> <laughs> and the quote is from a survivor of an earthquake, which killed 30,000 people in the 1920s in Italy. 
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.